My career sucks. Sex just isn't the same. What's my purpose? Where did this fat come from? My relationship is killing me. I'll never be happy. My debt is piling up. I'll never find love. Why can't I be like other gay guys? Hey guys, it's time to get a grip, stop whining, make a bold move, and do something amazing with your 40 plus gay life. Let's get to the show with your Tell It Like It Is host, Rick Clemens, who does his best to never act like a dick or a diva unless you act like one first. Hey, 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 guys, welcome to another episode of 40 plus gay man gay talk. It is February, and Valentine's Day is just right behind us. And for those, some of you, you're like, oh, it was all great and everything. And others of you, like, yeah, it was Single Awareness Day. And for others of you, you're like, I really don't want to talk about it. Let's just not even talk about it. And then there's others of you that may be really, truly struggling to, like, find your foothold as a gay man and dating and finding love or just even being in a, a, just a good relationship. Doesn't have to be forever or marriage or any of that. But what happens when suddenly you reveal a piece of yourself and guys don't want to have anything to do with you? Or maybe they treat you differently or they're like, oh, things are going so well. And then you told me this. And it could be anything from you've been married to a woman to that you're a recovering alcoholic or maybe you have a disease that suddenly they're like, that isn't going to work for me. Well, I am very humbled and excited to have one of my listeners on. His name is Stephen Fratello, and he has listened. He's been part of my chat groups, and he proposed like, hey, Rick, I'd love to talk about this in our 40 plus gay men, gay talk chats. And I said, oh, no, 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 we're not going to wait just for that. I would love to have you on the podcast. And he willingly said yes to the dress, so to speak. And here we are, Stephen. So um, I'm really glad you're here, Matt. Yeah, thank you so much for, for having me. Yes to the dress, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 my dress is uh, at the cleaners, but, you know. Well, but but if anybody could see us, they'd be going... They both plan for the occasion because they're both wearing black t-shirts. So there we go. You know, we co- kind of color coordinated for this one. But um, black is so very slimming, you know, it is. Well, us big bears, you know, we got to do yeah. everything we can to kind of like make us look smaller. Not that I feel like I have to look smaller, but um, so dating in your world. Wow. It's so much fun, right? Being a single gay man and just it's so easy. You find a guy, you date, or you have a good time. I know there's a lot of people rolling their eyes right now as I'm saying all that, but um. It's not easy out there, is it? No, if being a single gay man wasn't hard enough, it's uh, you know more fun when you're chronic. You have a chronic illness and you're a single gay man, so that's even more fun. Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, I almost feel like I'm kind of damaged goods. Those of you who've listened to the podcast know that you know I recently had a stroke. This was stroke number two, and I'm like, man, if I was out there dating, I'm not sure when I would bring that up in. The dating situation, like, well, why would I want to get in a relationship with you? You're probably just going to kill over any day now, man. But um, luckily, I'm stuck with my husband or he's stuck with me. But you've got a little bit different take on this because you got a chronic disease. And it's not something that, at least from what you've shared with me, people don't even really know it's there, right? Yeah, well, like you said, nobody would be able to tell you had any health issues or anything like that. And um yeah I, I was diagnosed with a condition called it's an immunological 
condition called mast cell activation syndrome. And um, it's makes your immune system kind of go wacky. Sort of the mast cells are activated during an allergic reaction. Mm-hmm. So um, being in a, like a gay bar and drinking alcohol could be um, a problem. Smoke, like, you know, the smoke they pump into those clubs, that kills yeah. me. Um, even just uh, being in a crowded room of people and feeling anxious, the anxiety can trigger, you know, different symptoms as well. Um, so, yeah, it's it's hard to – I definitely am not a scene person. Like, I don't go out to bars and clubs anymore. I don't know if I would be at bars and clubs even if I could go because right. I don't know if that's my scene. But, um, yeah. So it's, you know, it's been a, it's been a real challenge to, and then in, in the middle of COVID to have a social life was really, really rough. So yeah. it's cool that we have podcasts like this to listen to and kind of be our community in some ways. But it's interesting that you talk yeah. about your disease and you immediately also followed up with like anxiety and depression because anxiety and depression are also those invisible diseases that most people don't realize people have. I mean, I've talked about it numerous times. Anxiety, depression is one of the things that I have suffered with. It comes and goes. I'm lucky at this stage that I've found balance and things to help me through it. I don't any longer use any medication for depression or anxiety, but there was a time where I was like, I was a, I was a mess, but nobody's, really saw it because Rick knew how to put on a really good face, except when it really hit. And then I kind of exited stage rife quote unquote out of life when those moments were happening, but it's kind of the same thing for you. Nobody's going to see this going down for you. And I can see how things get triggered. Just that anxiety that it would bring for you. Like, when is this really going to hit me? And so then maybe, you know, you're out on a date or something and then suddenly this starts to hit. So when you've shared this with guys, what tends to happen? Well, it's really funny. I mean, first to, to what you were saying, I, I had depression anxiety since I was a kid because I had sort of a traumatic childhood, which is probably a discussion for a whole other, <laughs> whole other time. But um, I, I remember meeting one guy and uh, I told him that I had depression and anxiety and he was like, me too. And he's like, I can't date somebody like, like that like i'm i'm fucked up enough for me i can't date somebody like that too and i was just so taken back from the fact that like even somebody who can relate to what you're going through doesn't want to be in the same situation and then i sort of thought about it and you know you think people often ask me what do you when you go look for someone to date would you rather someone who's not chronically ill or would you rather someone who is? And I say, well, I'm open to, to both, but there's right. challenges to both because if someone's not chronically ill, they have to learn and understand and be compassionate and open. Um, and then if they are chronically ill, they it's like you have to deal with two people with chronic illness mm-hmm. and that can be pretty pretty heavy and a lot for for people to deal with so i understand you know people approaching it that way but it's like damned if you do damned if you don't yep yeah so it's very interesting that you bring that up because yeah i suddenly as you're talking i'm going oh my gosh this reminds me of when i first came out 
I was like, okay, I'm going to find another guy who's been in the closet, who was married to a woman who has kids because that'll be utopia, right? We both can relate. We, we, we are both dads. We'll have kids. And honest to God, those were the worst guys that I dated because it was too complicated because, well, his schedule with his kids was opposite of mine and my schedule with my kids. I had, I opted like I wanted to be very active in my kid's life. And my ex-wife was very much like you will be active. So I wasn't the typical divorced dad. I wasn't like the one night a week and every other weekend I was, you know, well, at one point it was a little crazy. It's like I'd have them for two nights and she'd have them for two nights and then we'd trade weekend. And then there we go again. So it was a little bit crazy, but there was never any time when you're dating somebody who has kids and suddenly it's like, well, they don't have your, their kids that weekend, but you have yours. There was never any time, right? Then I dated a guy who did have similar schedules, but his kids were older than mine. So there was this whole thing like, my girls were the youngest out of the group. So there was no cohesiveness happening there. So it's interesting to hear you say that because it's very similar. I can only imagine, yes, trying to date somebody who doesn't have anything chronic. And then it's almost like you're training them and educating them. You know, that can be challenging in and of itself. I'm not going to say I trained and educated my husband, but there was some like compromising that had to go on when we were first together because, you know, I had kids and there were times that I couldn't do stuff when he wanted to do it. And I was the one suffering more than anything because I was growing into myself as a gay man. And I was having to really manage my jealousy and like, you're not committed to me and all this bullshit that I, I now look at it and go, Oh, you were a little fucked up bitch, Rick. You just like needed to grow up, man. But as you were saying all that, Steve, and I'm like, I can totally relate because it's got to be hard on either side of the fence. And then if it's two of you that are chronic, it talk about bringing more anxiety onto the whole relationship. That's got to be super, super tough. So what have you found is a, a balance for you? I mean, uh, you're still single, correct? Yeah, I'm still single. Um, I don't mean that derogatory. I mean, you're single, no, no. you know, sure, but, uh, yeah. But as you've tried this, what has been some of the like places you felt like this would be a good balance for me? Um, I don't know that I've met anybody yet that I felt that way with. Um, mm -hmm. I've been, like I said, in situations where the other person had enough, had a chronic illness or a disability. And so trying to give that a go and work that out and navigate that and that didn't work out too well. Um you know, sort of like uh, it's hard to find places in the gay community where you can meet other people with, you know, there is no like sort of gay bar for people with chronic illness. You know what I mean? So or or they don't even have like even online spaces for, you know, they're, they're very rare. I mean, I'm sure there are, but um or they're like group therapy or something where you have to pay out of pocket and so you know part of the reason i started a podcast myself during the pandemic just because i was like i feel like i'm the only person going through this even intellectually right. i knew that i was not there's other people but i was like maybe this can create some sort of community for people to share their stories and meet one another and you know not feel like a freak you know like mm -hmm. or or you know find someone to connect with that you know understands them or or whatever or somebody who 
isn't chronically ill, but just wants to learn more about, you know, advocacy for, for chronic illness in the gay community. I do believe, though, one of the commonalities that you share is very much similar to the recovery groups. You know, anyone who's a recovering alcoholic, recovering drug addict, recovering sex addict, there's a shame that goes around those people, too. I mean, mm -hmm. what do you mean you don't drink? You know, oh, you you know, what do you mean you, you have to be very careful in how you approach sex? Obviously, there's the one obvious one. Oh, my gosh, you mean you're HIV positive. That used to be like the like the shame and doom of everything. Right. So I think there's there's definitely room here for these kind of conversations. But it is interesting, like. I believe as a community and I'm making a very generalized statement here, guys, so I'm not saying this is 100 percent true. I think we have moved to a space, especially around HIV and AIDS, where we're more embracing. But there's a lot of guys who still, when they say, well, I'm undetectable, there's still people who will roll their eyes or go, yes, but I'm not coming near you. So I think these are these interesting things. We found some acceptance in certain spaces where our community tends to have our hardest roads to haul, HIV, AIDS, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, sex addiction. We've kind of embraced that, but here you're coming with this quote, invisible silent thing that suddenly you bring it up. And, you know, I, I've said this on the podcast before, like when I brought up to a couple of guys that I had kids and they're like, you do? I'm like, yeah, I was married and I, I was married for 13 years and I have two biological daughters. And suddenly I was like, you thought I had a disease. Like, oh my gosh, my penis has been in a vagina. Oh, go away. No, 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 no. Right. It's so interesting how as a community, we want to be so embraced for who we are. And we can be one of the worst at embracing people for who they are. And I think that's really the impetus of why I wanted to have you on this podcast was to show here's another version of this, guys. This does not make Stephen an outcast, a weirdo. If anything, it's saying I am being forthright, honest. I'm sharing my truth. That's what I'm doing. And even exactly, when you do yeah. that, you seem to get like, well, not the best reactions, right? Yeah, well, I think historically we've been a marginalized community. But then again, marginalized communities tend to marginalize people within their own community. And like you said, this is another example of it. And when you have to sit somebody down and say, I was dating somebody and I had to say, okay, uh, you know, I don't work a full-time job. I'm on disability and this is how much my disability is. And, you know, I can't necessarily travel all the time and I can't, you know, you're in a world where people want to be fabulous and they want to travel mm -hmm. on really great vacations, which that's, that's not something to hate on someone for, but if you're trying to find someone compatible to you, um, I think gay men tend to be more caught up on like status and money and traveling and all that stuff. So when you sit someone down and you say, here's what my day-to-day -day life looks like and day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year, um, it's sometimes it's pretty much incompatible sometimes with people mm -hmm. who are like, well, no, I want to travel and do like all these countries within the next year. And, and I'm like, there's no way I could ever do that. Mm -hmm. So next, I'm not going to be your guy. Right. And so it's sort of disappointing a lot of times. And 
it's not a reason to necessarily hate people for it or like say that they're discriminating. But then there are there are guys who you want to just say you really should open your mind a little bit more to a potential partner if you're only just looking. Everyone's looking to live their best life now, and uh, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that cliche, but it sort of closes your vision off to mm -hmm. everything else that could be around you. One of the guys that I admire most, and I'm going to not mention his name for privacy because even though I know he talks about this, <clears throat> it's his story to tell, but he is well-known in our community as a mental health professional. And he, his husband is someone who's on the spectrum and he loves him beyond any shadow of a doubt. And they have been together. I, I, I want to say longer than my husband and I have at least definitely more than 20 some odd years. I think they may be even closer to approaching that 30 some year mark. And the love that he cares for his husband with, with that part of their life as a key factor in it and his ability to like respect what his husband is capable of and not capable of and vice versa, what his husband is capable of knowing that the guy I'm speaking of travels a lot for work and is very well known in our community to me is just such a, a breath of fresh air. Because it shows when you really care enough about the person you want to be in relationship with, you will make compromise and accommodations that work for both of you without either one of you feeling like, hey, you know, <laughs> this really isn't fair. But it all comes down to communication. And one of the things I feel like I'm hearing from you, Stephen, is you're doing something at a very beginning with these guys which most couples don't even get to in their first year or two. You're communicating clearly. Here's my situation. I'm living my truth. Some would say, well, he's given up. He doesn't have any help. He doesn't feel like he can move beyond his station in life. I don't hear that. You're saying, this is where I'm at. I believe you're willing to like, hey, I'm willing to try to do more, but I also know my limitations. You know, it's one of those things. It's like after the stroke, I mean, I had some conversations with my husband, like this is, this is what I'm limited to right now. I, I mean, I'm doing great now. And, but there's even moments where I'm like, yep, not doing that right now, you know, because I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to live my life in fear either, but I'm also very cognizant of like what I'm capable of. In fact, last night I was laying on the couch watching TV and I was having, so I'm a diabetic, newly diagnosed along with the stroke. So I'm starting to learn a lot of different things. I'm like, I'm having some issues and I found some cream that I'm like, this is supposed to really help with the neuropathy and pain in the feet and everything. And I'm like, Hey, I'm going to go get some of this cream. And he's like, okay, are you okay? I'm like, yeah. He goes, do you want me to go? No, I can, I can go do this. But the, just the being able to be honest and, you know, yes, I realize he's my husband. So the bitch better. No, I'm kidding. But he better listen to me when I'm saying stuff, right? But this honesty that's even coming forth right now in my world, and people are like, I had somebody, you know, there's always one or two. Oh, so you're going to use your stroke now to really, I'm like, go away. Just go away. I'm sharing yeah. about my stroke because 
I think it's important for us gay men to realize we're not as immune to anything as we think we may be, you know, but I'm using it more as like a platform of like, please take care of yourself and whatever it is, whether it's your disease that you're dealing with, Stephen, or mine that I'm dealing with, share it in a way that helps other people see whatever comes your way, take care of you. And I think part of your message, at least what I've picked up on is I'm just trying to show other men why it's so important for me to take care of myself in this way. If you can't meet me at that table, then we're probably not a match. It's that simple. Yeah. And it's also a call to just bring awareness to, you know, this community within the community. And for me, it's not even, it's like you can only hide for me, hide my mm -hmm. disability or issues so far. And like uh, somebody said to me, last year uh, and i'm fully vaccinated and everything which was a big ordeal because i didn't know if i was going to be able to tolerate the vaccines if i was going to have right. an allergic reaction they were like oh do you want to come to this broadway show with me i live close to new york city and i was like oh like i can't because at that point it was still like pandemic right. you know in the pandemic and i was like i can't really be around crowds you know right now so it's you you get a point where to a point where you have to reveal a lot of details about yourself and um you know some people you know in the end i think either way you just sort of get left aside even though i'm yeah. not trying to say woe is me like feel sorry for me but i think people in that in dealing with chronic illness often get sort of pushed to the side and, and yep. um so and well, they, don't story, get, they don't get seen and heard that's the thing yeah yeah. And especially when it's not when it's not absolutely visible to what the issue is, you know, it's like nobody nobody wears a badge saying I'm HIV positive. Right. But I remember the days and it still is. But I remember the days when that was like, oh, you know, stay away, stay away. Right. And I think that's part of the reason that it did so much damage in our own community is there was not enough acceptance, even within our own selves to like. Hey, I just, I'm going to love on you no matter what. And I think it's extremely hard, especially when I've had um, other guests on the podcasts where we talk about like black lives matter and stuff like that. It's like, I can only relate to my black brothers and sisters to a degree because yes, I'm marginalized like they are. They walk this day in and day out on a daily basis, the racism and everything. Nobody would know you or I were gay men until we say something. So we kind of have that shield that protects us. But the moment that we reveal, so many things begin to change. And I think part of what I've witnessed for us as gay men, especially in the lovely world of apps, is you can be anything you want to be as long as that phone and that picture shield you from the truth. But the minute the truth starts to come out, you can be absolutely nothing. Because people only want to live sometimes in the fantasy of what they think you are. And I know we see this all the time on the apps with guys who are like, you're hot and everything. And then, of course, well, show me your dick pics or show me your ass pics. And then you say, oh, well, thanks. Not interested. It's, it's just really interesting. And it's the same concept. As soon as you reveal your truth you have the greater chance of somebody saying, yep, that's not going to work for me. 
Yeah. And it's a, like you said before, shame is the big word. I think like sometimes you feel like there's nowhere really to turn. Cause for me, like faith is an important part of my life. Like I can, um, you know, I was raised Catholic, but that's a whole other story, but I still consider myself a Christian. And so that was a, a big part of learning to cope was using my faith as a, as a way to cope. And I remember going to a church and the pastor asked me what was, you know, what do I do for a living, et cetera, et cetera. And when I told him stuff, he was like, uh, I don't believe that you look fine. Like, you know, you, you don't look like there's anything wrong with you. And, and I was like, okay, so even here in the church community, like you don't get, you know, acceptance. And I remember trying to start a support group at church once for mental health, you know, through uh, one of the organizations called, it was NAMI. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yep. And they were like, oh yeah, well, well I don't know if we're going to really do that here, but maybe you can go to the community center. And, you know, so it's always like, you know, even in the world of wherever you go, the church, or to your brothers and sisters in the gay community or whatever. It's sort of like people, uh, you know, they don't believe you. They, or they want to make you feel some sort of mm. like shame or like you said, you know, if you're depressed, I, I can only imagine the pastor's thought was you look fine. So you should be fine. Or if you're having some sort of issue, just pull, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And, yep. and it's not that easy. So mm-hmm. it's interesting you brought the Christianity piece up because I, so guys, if you didn't listen to the latest episode of Life Uncloseted that just aired two days ago, I'd really encourage you to do it. The guy's name is Bill Rossi. Amazing, just an amazing guy. He has a, um, it must be time for me to talk about all this sort of stuff. So he has a chronic um, heart condition called HCM. So basically his heart could go at any time. And he's had multiple surgeries. He's got pacemakers. He's had all this stuff done. And so he's got that going for him, but he's very devout in his faith, raised Catholic. And he lives in Indiana and very highly successful entrepreneur, very well-known serial entrepreneur, very, very like crazy successful. And he and his husband did not immediately get married. And all they got was a load of crap from people about not getting married. You're supposed to do this. This is what you're supposed to do. So as I was interviewing him, I didn't know the backstory. I mean, I knew enough to like, hey, I want to have him on the the podcast. So um, again, it's two days ago, folks listening, live on Closet, go check it out. But the reason they didn't get married was very valid. At the time that they could have got married in the state of Indiana, you could go to jail if you went and applied for a marriage license. If you married somebody, you it was considered a felony. So there were lots of interesting things. And there's a whole beauty. Again, I encourage anybody to go listen to it. Talks about them adopting kids and like similar sorts of trials and tribulations around that. Then you've got his chronic illness that it's like, it just shows you how much judgment and things come in. And yet they did it their way. And I think that's the thing is if we would all just give everybody the chance to do things their way and be the way they're meant to be in the world, And also understand, hey, you know, if Stephen can't do this or he's not capable, you know, physically health wise or anything or mentally health wise, then 
if you're a fit with him, then how can you meet him where he's at? If you're not a fit with him, then that's okay. But don't be a jerk about it. Like meet him where you can. I think the biggest thing that I find frustrating in our community is the lack of flexibility and this idealized, this is what the guy's got to be. This is what the guy's got to be. This is what the guy's got to be. And so many men are lonely in our community because they have set the freaking standards so high <laughs> and they will continue to be lonely instead of finding a guy that it could be a great relationship, a loving relationship. Um, I have coached so many men who are in these intergenerational relationships and they're like, well, I don't want to raise the guy. I'm like, yeah, but you sure want to fuck him. You sure want the young <laughs> sweet ass, right? Sure. Well, yeah, but they don't make the money. And I'm like, then this is on you. It's not on the young guy. You want that piece of him, no pun intended. <laughs> but then you bitch about, well, we don't really have any connection. They talk about stuff I don't really understand. And then he expects me to pay for everything. I'm like, but this is what you went for. So this judgmental sort of stuff, and it kind of comes again, Stephen, full circle back to like, don't put it on your back because this is the container that Stephen is living in. It's not like you're going to miraculously make this thing go away. You're managing it, but you can't make it go away. And, you know, especially when you're on disability, it's like you got to meet Stephen where he is. I don't hear you saying, come date me and pay for everything, but you got to be reasonable about what I'm capable of. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's interesting too, that the narcissism in our community and it's this podcast is 40 plus gay men. So we're all sort of progressing down the line and we're in these bodies that are aging that yep. eventually will break down. And love is about, yes, we all want someone who's super hot and sexy with, you know, whatever eight inches nine inches whatever right. your fetish <laughs> is or you want but like that's not i mean that's not all there is to life and eventually when you're sick and you're older and you're you know when we all leave this earth you're gonna want somebody who's gonna be there by your side not somebody who's the hottest guy in the room or you know whatever the guy who can travel you know the, the to the most places so you know love is not um, love is not based on a lot of these superficial things that right. they think we train people to think that they're based on. Mm -hmm. So one of the most tender moments I've had with my husband recently, uh, he was, he was just getting out of the shower. I'm laying on the bed, like, hurry up, bitch. I need to get in the <laughs> shower. Right. So I'm laying there like naked on the bed and he comes out of the shower and he sees me laying there in the mirror and he goes, Oh, look, it's a naked man in my bed. And I was just like, that alone, that just, that's all, I don't, nothing had to happen and nothing did happen because we're getting ready to go. But those little moments, like when I talked about, you know, needing to go get some cream for my diabetic foot stuff. And just the fact that he said, do you want, need me to go with you? Those are the moments, guys, that you, you need to relish. Those are the moments that are worth every, every great piece of ass you've fucked or every good sex session you've had with a partner because you just accept each other where you are. You literally just accept each other where you are. doesn't mean roll over and like, okay, this is what you get. I mean, I'm bouncing back. I'm like, I'm going to fight for everything I can to get through this and 
get back on track. I was doing really great before the stroke, which is part of what pisses me off. I'm like, I was cycling and I'm swimming and da, 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 da. who knows why these things happen. You learn to embrace it and move forward. So, so what do you feel like is one of the greatest lessons you've learned for yourself as you've navigated through, here's what I, here's what I have. This is what I'm contending with and my disability and kind of income that I have, but what is something you've learned to accept most about yourself, Stephen? Uh, that I've learned to accept most about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, probably that I am a mixed bag of a lot of different things. Some of mm-hmm. the things I can't control, some of the things I can, and I have to learn to accept. I have to accept being patient with myself that I, I should, I have to accept the fact that I need to accept being patient with myself because some days it's hard to say, well, I don't want this to be reality. I want to try to make it change. And so acceptance is really like the thing that I work the most about my heart and the hardest about my situation and about myself trying to change the things uh, I can. And then the wisdom to know the difference, as they say, Yep. you know, what you can and can't change. And um, I can go to doctors, I can keep seeking treatment, which is what I do. And that's, you know, something I can do, but I just have to accept that this is where I'm, where I am. And, um, you know, like we were talking about the shame and all that stuff, you want to always blame yourself. Like maybe I did something when I was younger, maybe I drank too much, I partied too hard. I did something and this is all my fault. And, you know, so it's trying to get that mindset of just saying, you know what, quiet the voices and just try to be accepting of yourself and where you are. That's such a big lesson. Yeah, it's hard. It's very hard. It is very hard. I mean, I was, I was so shocked when they said on the first stroke, you've had, you had a stroke. I'm like, what the fuck? seriously i feel fine nothing's wrong i lost vision for like nope you had a stroke and it was a it was that was a tough little pill to swallow not as tough as this one this one was actually worse because i'm like okay i truly had i had deficits that i could actually yes losing your sight for a time but it came right back i mean by the time we were four hours into that whole experience I'm like, okay, I can see. Can I go home now? Are we done here? You know, this one was a little bit different because I could, I kept feeling like, okay, well now this has happened. And then, you know, throughout the time that it was happening, but I also realized how humbling it is to realize how human we are and not being morbid or anything. It's just, we're human. And to your point, like, yes, I loved how you so eloquently said that this is 40 plus gay man, gay talk. But we're all marching down that path. I mean, I'm 59. I'm going to be 60 this year. And, you know, each of us has those moments where something like that kind of fits into our world. Today, I was working with a client who was 72. I'm like, well, I'm not there yet. (laughs) 60 is nothing to 72. But even 72 is nothing to 80 something, right? I was working with another client last week who she's 80 some years old. And she's just starting her speaking career. I'm like, you go, girl. (laughs) I don't want to be doing shit when I'm 80 some years old. I just want to be enjoying life, you know? But that's her joy. And I think this is the thing. When you embrace the humility of where you are and who you are. And one of the things I love about the conversation you've just 
shared is the acceptance of self. You're not asking for handouts. You're not saying, woe is me. You're just saying, it's almost like Julia Roberts in um, not was it Notting Hill. I'm just a girl <laughs> loving a boy. Wanted to, you know, it's almost that same concept, right? I'm just a guy wanting to be loved by another guy. That's it. That's all I'm wanting. I don't, I don't need the moon. I don't need the Porsche and the great trips. I just want somebody to like see me for who I am. And I hope some guys who've listened to this, whether you have a chronic illness or maybe your chronic illness is you can't find a guy that you realize just keep being who you are and trust the process. And I know that sounds very coachy, but there were times I would roll my eyes at those sort of things. And I've realized each day that I get to live and breathe, the more I just trust the process, the more at ease I am and the more at peace I am. And I think that's one of the key messages here. So um, I don't know if you remember this or not, but one of the first, when I first found your podcast, I think it was like uh, maybe a year ago or so, or maybe mm -hmm. less. And um, I think I had emailed you after listening to an episode and I asked you, I said, this is my situation. And I think you wrote back to me. You said, well, I would say to you, focus on what you can do and not what you can't do. And that was your advice yep. to me, which it's like, it seems very um, obvious, but we forget so many times. We do. Like, and it's hard. It's hard to do that because mm -hmm. it's sort of like, I don't want to do that. I right. just want to figure out a way to just do something that makes this all go away or just so yep. I could live in denial and not have to deal with it. But um, yeah, so that was your advice to me, which you know, I do I remember it. that. Yeah, I do remember <laughs> that. I actually, as I was preparing for this, I, I was looking for you and it's got some of the recent emails that you sent me. And so, because I use Gmail, there's there, there a lot of times when I get those kind of inquiries, I keep them like, oh, this could be a potential client or this could be somebody that I might, you know, I might use like that interaction as basis for a show or something. And that old email popped up. I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about this. And again, that's not a trite statement to say, focus on what you can do, not what you can't do. It is a reality statement. I know what I can do right now. And I'm, I'm shocked. And I guess I will share this one last piece to kind of align through all of this. I know what I can do is try to treat my body in the best possible way I can. I know what I can put into my body and what I shouldn't put into my body. doesn't mean 100% of the time I'm going to do it. January 1st, I started a challenge with Peloton. It's a yoga challenge. I used to love doing yoga. Haven't touched it in a couple of years. I'm like, I can do this. <laughs> and it's beginning yoga. So you, they literally like take you step by step by step. Oh my God. The first class I'm like, fuck this. This is ridiculous. I can't believe I can't do this stuff. I used to, I couldn't do a downward facing dog. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. So I rolled back through like, okay, when was the last time I really think I did a yoga class, right? It was well before the pandemic. Well, guess what? Since before the pandemic, I have since broke my wrist. I have broken two toes majorly in one foot. I've had two strokes. And I put on weight. I'm like, of course, bitch, this is the reason you can't do all this stuff. I am very proud to say we're recording this, folks, on January 17th, even though this isn't airing until uh, February. As of January 17th, uh, this bad boy is doing downward facing dog like nobody else's business. 
So if you don't accept you. what you can do, you will never get to what you can do. The thing is, is you've got to get the can't out of your way. Be realistic about what you can do. I'm not saying I'm going out and running a marathon. That probably wouldn't be wise for me right now. But it's amazing what you can do. And those are the things that I wish more of us would realize we can do, even if it means you're going to have to keep just like holding the flame to the candle that one day a guy is going to accept me warts, ugly, flat, slobby belly, <laughs> disease that nobody can really see. They accept all of that and you will find it. So um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this conversation, Stephen. Oh, likewise. I appreciate you, you know, giving me uh, the time to just um, to talk about this issue that is important to me. And um, even though, like we talked about before, I'm not like a author or uh, coach or doctor or anything, but just, you know, somebody out here, like everybody else, just mm -hmm. trying one day at a time. He's just so a gay you. guy trying to find a gay guy to love him. Let's just <laughs> yeah, stand and a gay guy who's just like trying to hey, I'm doing the best I can with the, the what I've got. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. You are are doing the best you can. That's the can do attitude, you know. So um, yeah. really appreciate cool. you being who you are, listeners, being how you've showed up, and again, just the way this all came together. I hope some guys really heard literally heard so much of what we shared today because whether you have a, a disease that's invisible or your disease is you don't have faith in yourself or you don't trust yourself or you think you're doing everything wrong go back and listen to this again because there's just interesting little wisdom nuggets in here that apply to any of those situations if you just give yourself the time to listen and take it all in so um Thank you again so much, yeah. Stephen. I really appreciate you, man. No, thank you. The pleasure was all mine. I think you're going to get a lot of emails coming in uh, from people who hopefully. Well, that would be a blessing. And each one I get in, I'm going to forward it to you so you can see the impact you have. Yeah, please do. Well, cool. Well, thanks again for being here, man. Really, truly appreciate you. Thank you. That's a wrap for 40 plus gay men, gay talk, where size doesn't matter. We drop our bullshit, get over our screwed up fears, make bold moves and live life without apologies. Don't forget to join us on Facebook at 40 plus gay men, gay talk, where the conversations continue.